Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a writer explores spine-chilling true stories from investigations and real occurrences throughout history that expose disembodied voices. So it said, come into the woods, I found something. Come into the woods, I want to show you something. So whatever this thing was, was kind of coaxing me out of the driveway and into the woods. So I, I was suspicious because this thing could not answer my questions and every time I tried to coax it out of the woods it would not respond it would not come out and this went on for a few minutes I tried to get some more information I was very suspicious I knew my father was not in the area at the time so this was something odd something was pretending to be my father if you enjoy conspiracy unlimited why not become a conspiracy unlimited plus member for just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Canadian writer Tim Marzenko is here to discuss disembodied voices, Tim is on the trail of monsters and strange phenomena. He travels around with a ratty notepad and a healthy skepticism, asking the questions that many dare not ask. When he's not lying awake, bug-eyed with anticipation of his next adventure, he's out enjoying a hike or a canoe trip. Tim resides in Ontario with his family and hopes that his work will enlighten readers now and long after he's dead. Hey, Tim, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. You begin the book with a quote from the Reverend John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church. I grew up in the United Church. 
interesting quote, an interesting way to begin the book. He says, do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from him. They may be from nature. They may be from the devil. First of all, uh, why did you begin with that quote? And maybe tell us a little bit about your upbringing and whether it involved religion and how that might have informed your whole sort of worldview and in particular this notion of, of spirits and disembodied voices. So this, this quote really spoke to me. It, it really covers uh, a wide variety of things. It's, it's saying a lot. Um, mentioning God and the devil, and um, maybe more importantly, nature. Uh, it kind of covers a lot of aspects of disembodied voices. Um, and I felt it was a great way to start the book because the book kind of delves into voices from dreams, uh, voices from God, voices from the devil, voices from nature. It kind of encompasses the whole thing. So I thought it was a great way to kind of kick off the stories in this book. And how about for you, for you personally, and your upbringing? Uh, was was religion part of your upbringing, and and how how did that inform your worldview? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up going to Sunday school. Um, we had Bible study and everything, so I was familiar with um, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the incredible stories of people like Moses and uh, people who heard voices or interacted with God or supernatural beings. Um, so I was definitely aware of that world. Um, and, you know, I believe I believe it's still part of our world. I believe there is still a supernatural aspect to our world. It's not as readily seen as it was back then. Um, you know, maybe these entities and, you know, and God doesn't speak to us the way he did back then. But uh, I certainly think there's a spiritual aspect to our world. So I did, I definitely took that with me as a, as a young person and even now. So you begin the book with a story, a personal story, and, and you start off by saying, this will be the last time I tell this story. I'm going to ask you uh, maybe to betray that oath and, and get you to tell it again. Uh, what, what happened to you? This was, uh, I guess, in your early, uh, in your early years, this encounter. Yeah, this is just before high school, um, uh, so it's important to set the scene. I grew up in a very small town, more more like a village. Uh, my, ho- my home was on a dead-end street. I was surrounded by forests, and these are forests I was very familiar with. I played in them uh, all day long. Uh, I'm familiar with camping, hiking, and I was no stranger to the outdoors. Um, this is a small town. Not much really happens in it, and uh, I was outside one particular night, um, just minding my own business in the driveway, and something very strange happened, and uh, I didn't really know where to place it. But it started with a noise, uh, kind of a beeping noise, a digital beeping noise, and this was way before uh, cell phones. Um, uh, closest thing I could compare it to was maybe it'd be a pager or something like that, um, and it kind of sounded off in three digital beeps. Um, I kind of ignored it and just went along my business when I heard a voice call me from the forest across the road. Uh, it was only about, about you know 10 feet away from my driveway. The voice said, come here, I found something. 
and it called me by name. It knew my name. And it sounded like my father, but it, there was something off about this voice, and I, I recognized it right away. It was kind of stilted. It was kind of... Uh, um, it just kind of sounded phony. But again, it sounded like my father, sort of. Um, so I I asked, you know, what did you fi- what did you find? Just believing it was my father at that moment, and the voice came back with the most uh, identical phrases over and over again, kind of like it was only limited, to like kind of like a pre-recording. So it said, "Come into the woods. I found something. Come into the woods. I want to show you something." So whatever this thing was was kind of coaxing me out of the driveway and into the woods. So I, I was suspicious because this thing could not answer my questions. And every time I tried to coax it out of the woods, it would not respond. It would not come out. Uh, and this went on for a few minutes. I tried to get some more information. I was very suspicious. Not scared, but uh, this is definitely some red flags uh, with this encounter. I knew my father was not in the area at the time, so this was something odd. Something was pretending to be my father. I ignored it. I went back to my business, and then the three beeps came back, and then the voice kind of just disappeared. Later on, I did have a chance to ask my father. I said, so what did you find in the woods? What are you calling me about? And he looked at me kind of with a crazy look, like, what are you talking about? And I said, you didn't, you didn't call me? And he's like, no. I have no idea what you're talking about. So kind of confirmed it. A chill ran down my spine once I heard that. But uh, I knew if I followed that voice, I, I something bad could have happened. I may never have would have returned. How did you uh, go about investigating that, or did you, that particular incident? Well, this happened a long time ago. It was, my resources were very limited back then. Um, I was young. I didn't really know where to place it. I didn't know if it was a ghost, a UFO, you know, encounter, something strange. So, you know, back then, I was, of course, interested in the paranormal, supernatural. I would, you know, read books on the topic, um, watch, watch shows like Unsolved Mysteries, things like that. But there was no encounter I could find that was like this. And that kind of was, it was kind of off-putting. So I kind of just put it in my back pocket for years and years and years and kind of just kept my ears open to see if anyone else had a similar encounter or if I could uh, come across anything historical, historical encounters, which kind of leads us back to the Bible with Moses and things like that. Um, it wasn't until about uh, more than a decade later, I started to hear little snippets of stories, um, people hearing voices in the woods, people hearing voices uh, call their name mimicking people that they knew and I started to collect these little stories little snippets um, and just kind of form like form enough data for a book uh, and this is not it's not something common so it was really hard to get that information you you write at the end of chapter one that in more ways than one you now know you're not alone and that you should take comfort in knowing that what's happening to others is also, you know, also happened to you, is happening to others. But you said this fact has only made your encounter more terrifying and real. Why is that? Well, it's good to know that you're not the only one who experienced this because it's kind of like you can't share with anyone. It's very hard to open up um, with, with people who don't know what you're talking about, who have not experienced this. 
So knowing that there was other people out there that kind of heard a loved one call to them in um, a very specific way, heard their name called, uh, I don't know, it just felt like there was some validity to this. It felt like it was a real thing that was not talked about, but that was actually part of our world that was not known. So I did feel good about that. But on the other hand, like I said, it's not really known about. It's not really discussed. It's something maybe forgotten that we once knew, but um, if we don't know about it, it's it's something I think we should be mindful of and fearful of. So this disembodied voice that you experienced in the woods, there 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 doesn't appear to have been any, you know, negative consequences. Whether it was a, a trickster of some sort, who knows? But uh, in in chapter two, you talk about of the voices that that people hear and sometimes they can have catastrophic uh, consequences as in the case of uh, New York serial killer uh, David Berkowitz aka son of Sam um, tell me about uh, the voices that Berkowitz ta- that Berkowitz believed he was hearing uh so when doing this book, I felt like I had to kind of cover all aspects of it because, um, you know, when people hear voices or people hear the topic of disembodied voices, a lot of people think about people like David Berkowitz who did claim to hear these voices, um, people who are driven to do bad things, and also um, stories of mental illness. So I start the book starts off with a few of these, with these tales, David Berkowitz being one of the most famous ones. Um, he had lived alone in, um, in Yonkers, uh, this is in the 70s, and he was be- he claimed to be tormented by his neighbor's dog that would bark through all hours of the night and command him to leave his apartment and go out and kill people. So he claimed this voice was coming from this dog, or whatever was possessing this dog, and that's exactly what we- he did. He took a 44 caliber handgun and stalked the streets at night, peeked in people's car windows, and just shot indiscriminately because he believed he was he was under the control of these demands from this you know, whatever it was demonic thing whatever he believed it was um, eventually when he was caught that's that's the story he told when they dragged him to the police station um, that he, he was being commanded by otherworldly forces and uh, you also talk about another uh, killer by the name of Henry Mullen who I was not familiar with tell me about Mr. Mullen yeah, this is a really great story because um, it kind of has it kind of has an, it's more of an evolution than what the David Berkowitz story tells. So, um, so Mr. Mullen was uh, not mentally stable. He was later diagnosed with schizophrenia, but he had heard the voices of his would-be victims, and they begged him to be killed. Now, uh, Mullen believed he was doing a good thing. He believed that. The more people he killed, the more blood sacrifices he took, he would prevent a catastrophic earthquake from tearing apart uh, the United States. Um, so he went, went about and murdered people, and um, he, his birthday actually was uh, the same date as the, the horrible earthquake. Um, I believe it was... Um, 1906. Have, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't in, have it in front of me. In San Francisco, but, um, yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, so there was. So he built this this kind of story up in, in his mind. Um, of course, he he predicted this earthquake was going to happen, and the only way to stop it was to murder people. The funny thing about this was there was a man in New York at the time, I believe, and he had predicted uh, a number. I mean, more than a dozen earthquakes with accuracy, and he actually predicted the the earthquake that Mullen was talking about. This earthquake never happened. So it kind of leads you to believe, was this voice real? Was this voice speaking the truth to Mullen? Was a blood sacrifice necessary? There's kind of two sides to the argument here. Was this just a mentally ill person that needed help? Or is there something supernatural at work here? So I really wanted to include that story because I thought it was really fascinating. And has it changed researching this book? Has it changed your view of what we consider to be mental illness or, um, you know, psychotic behavior. So, for example, when, a, when David Berkowitz claims he heard voices, when Mark David Chapman, also, who killed Lennon, claimed that he, that he heard voices, uh, and obviously not to diminish the seriousness of mental illness, but w- where are you in all this now? It, it really kind of, um, yeah, it just kind of, it opened up my eyes to say, like, you don't have, you don't really have to be mentally ill or a prophet to hear voices. And I was surprised to see that it was more common than, uh, than people think. Um, think about, there's a, a couple organizations I mentioned in the book, and I think one of them says about 7% of the population hears voices regularly. Um, I mean, that's, that's a big number. Um, I think a lot of people think that only people with um, you know, mental mental problems or um, uh, you know prophets of the old days would hear these voices, but everyday common folk can hear them, and uh, it's not always an internal voice. It's something. Sometimes an ex- it's an external force that chooses us for whatever reason. So, from serial killers uh, to more uh, benevolent uh, voices. Uh, you share the story of a woman, I believe her name was Teresa Bowman, who uh, had um, uh, a near-death experience or a near-death type experience involving a plane crash and a, and a voice that was with her that provided great comfort. Can you share the uh, the experience of Teresa Bowman with us? So, um, Teresa had an experience in 2013 Um she had been driving through an intersection, and uh, she was unfortunately T-boned by a car, and, uh, and it, she was in a horrible wreck. And as her car was flipping over again and again, and the glass was shattering, through all that chaos, she heard a voice come to her calmly. It was a man's voice, and it said, It's okay, just close your eyes, it will be over soon. Now, Teresa, when I, when I interviewed her, she recognized the voice, which is kind of uh, related to what I experienced, but she didn't know where it came from. Like I said, it was a man's voice. It wasn't her, her, own, uh, her own conscious thought. It was something kind of projecting in her head. She, she listened to this voice. Instead of panicking and trying to grab on, grab hold of something, she kind of just let go, and she was able to survive the crash. Um... Later on, to her second interview, she uh, did go into a little bit more detail about this. 
besides the voice, there was kind of a buzzing or a ringing or a sound of kind of static. And I've heard people describe this before, um, especially in near-death experiences. It can be described as uh, in, like buzzing of flies between, like against the window pane or static or horns. And there's this theory that in near-death experiences, you, it's kind of like you are the, um, how, do I, how should I put it, you're kind of the arena of like a spiritual battleground. So this voice was coming kind of like to comfort her, whereas this noise is kind of like a battle between angels and demons in your most weakest moments. So these, the angels will make this noise to kind of get, get the demons out of your head at, that, at, that, at the last moment. So it was a really uh, kind of a creepy way to look at things. More of my conversation with Tim Marzenko when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Shields Up sounds like something out of Star Trek. In fact, it's a great new special from my friends at GetTheTea.com. The Shields Up special includes one bottle of pre and probiotic, one bottle of Coral Sea, and one package of Life Change Super Tea. You get a two-month supply of the pre and probiotic. Pro and prebiotics contain organic Jerusalem artichoke. Probiotics boost your immune system, support overall gastrointestinal health, healthy blood pressure levels, healthy cholesterol levels, and benefits your overall wellness. It helps to control the balance of healthy and harmful bacteria and may aid in calcium metabolism. You get a two-month supply of Coral C. Coral C is coral calcium plus vitamin C. Coral minerals provide all natural health benefits. Calcium and minerals are needed for every vital function of your body, from pumping your heart to cell division to DNA replication, and can help with alkalizing your body. Vitamin C is required for the proper development and function of many parts of the body. And the Shields Up special from Get The Tea gets you a one-month supply of Super Strength Tea. Super Strength Tea benefits great digestion and may aid in boosting your immune system and may help cleanse your body from unwanted intruders. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. Get your pre and probiotic, your Coral C, and your Life Change Super Tea. The Shields Up special from GetTheTea.com. Order yours today and use the code UNLIMITED and your order ships absolutely free. It's the Shields Up special from GetTheTea.com. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Tim Marzenko, the author of Disembodied Voices, True Accounts of Hidden Beings, is here. You also talk about various historical uh, figures who heard voices. You mentioned, I think, Moses earlier, but people may be fascinated to learn that Mahatma Gandhi claimed to uh, hear and be motivated uh, by the literal voice of God. Yeah, there's quite a few, actually. Uh, Gandhi, he, and Joan of Arc, I mean, every, that's a very popular story. Um, uh, Sigmund Freud, even. Um, there's many people from the Bible as well. But yeah, people like Gandhi kept their quest going because they he 
believed that he heard the literal voice of God. Um, he didn't see a form. It was a disembodied voice, he said. Um, and, you know, this was documented. And uh, it kind of gave him that that motivation to keep keep suffering, to keep kind of pushing along. And, like, these stories are important to include because it kind of grounds this topic um, in a topic that might be, you know, not taken so seriously. Uh, we have leaders and um, famous men and women throughout history who have experienced this, and I think it needs a, a closer look. Tell me about the voices from the sink, uh, this uh, Stephen King uh, story that was published, I guess, about 35 years ago. Um, why did you include it in the book? And, um, well, let me just leave it there. Why did you include this in the book? So, yeah, I start off... Um one of the chapters with um, the excerpt from Stephen King's It, one of the, you know, one of the, his greatest works. Um, because uh, as I was researching this, uh, I noticed that a lot of voices are coming from objects, coming from places, coming from animals even. And that particular example, uh, the voice from the sink, comes from a drain, uh, and it identifies a young girl in the book by her name. And I felt that this was totally relevant to the cases I was uncovering. Um, so I opened I opened the chapter with that and uh, because I wanted to tell stories about people hearing voices from old radios, from, uh, you know, uh, even animals. People claim to hear voices from a loved one through bird song. Uh, really kind of fascinating stories. Um, and there's a collection of them in that chapter. Right, perhaps you could share one. You spoke to someone named Timothy Beckman from the U.S. who had an amusing story to tell you about his friend known only as Matt. What happened to Matt? Well, this one is uh, more of a kind of um, another look at it. it. It's an example of why we need to investigate these stories thoroughly. This story was actually debunked, but it's a good example. Um, so his friend was walking along this road home at night, and uh, he heard a ghostly voice call his name, kind of a long, drawn-out Matt, you know, Matt. Um, and he was uh, curious, alarmed, um, maybe not scared like me, but he um, started to climb a hill uh, and kind of search for this voice that called his name. Um, he over the hill he did see something he saw figures down there um in the valley and they turned out to be sheep calling well not calling to him but they were just it gave the illusion of kind of calling to him so the story serves two purposes um it sheds light on possible scenarios for misidentification and it kind of just was i just wanted to include it to kind of um because I'm, I'm approaching it as like a, from a skeptical, logical point of view to kind of ground the topic. Because, like I said earlier, it's it kind of this topic can kind of be laughed off. So, this is just one example of ways um, to vet stories. But there's actual cases in this chapter where people have heard voices from animals. Um, there's a woman from um, I think it was Ohio in the 50s who heard a voice. Uh, from a little mouse, and that was a really creepy one. There's a very famous story out of England about Geff, the talking mongoose. I don't know if you mentioned that in the book or not. Uh, are you familiar with that case? Uh, no, that sounds really interesting, though. It's a very celebrated story. 
books have been written about it. So yeah, you might want to check out GEF, G-E-F, the talking mongoose. Sometimes these voices will uh, lure people to certain locations. We're familiar, of course, with the the Greek legends or myths of uh, the sirens, the siren call, luring um, um, sailors and pirates sometimes to their to their deaths, uh, where the ships would be smashed against the rocks and so forth. Uh, and I know you talk about it in the book. Talk to me about voices that are often. Uh, luring people, trapping people, sometimes to their deaths. Well, as I was doing research for the book, I noticed a theme here. There's quite a few themes. Um, One of the similarities, the the majority of these cases, voices come from wilderness areas or areas with lower populations, as you just mentioned, uh, rocks and cliffs and whatnot from the sirens. And I wondered why that was. Um, even uh, stories from the Bible, you know, Moses was approached from in, in, on the edge of the wilderness. Um, so there's lots of examples of that. Um, and I've kind of come, I've kind of formulated this three-tiered theory on how these things kind of lure us and maybe even hunt us um, based on all the reports. So the lure, actually the theory, the three-tiered theory is called the lure, the trap, and the lost. The lure is kind of the the call that gets your attention. That's the first step. So in my case, it would be this voice saying my name. It's something that causes pause, um, something you just stay in the area. The trap is kind of a call to action. It kind of takes this experience one step further. So it can be something like a, a call like, help me. Or in my case, it was, come here, I found something. So now it's got your attention, and now it's kind of intriguing you. And it can be, um, it can be anything. It can be help me. It can be a familiar voice. Anything to get you uh, one step closer. And then I kind of thought, where's this theory going? And we have these cases of people kind of disappearing into nothingness in our forested areas. And these cases have been written about for hundreds of years and talked about for hundreds of years, and we still don't have answers. And I thought the third tier of this of this theory, the lost, is uh, an idea of what could be happening to these people when they follow this voice, once they follow this lure, once they follow this trap. Do they become one of the lost ones? Where do they go once they walk out of the porch light and into the dark forest? So... Um, I think it's something to um, consider, especially for people who are living and working and playing near wilderness areas. Do you believe in guardian angels? Yeah. Um, when I, I did come across quite a bit of stories about people and their guardian angels, um, people being protected by them. I think there is something to it. Um, every faith kind of has a guardian angel form. Um, there's a few stories in the book that cover that. You also talk about the Greek myth of Pan. Where does Pan enter into all of this? So getting back to the wilderness areas, um, uh, the god Pan, he wasn't known to have any kind of altars or statues in the cities. If you wanted to worship Pan, you would have to go into the wilderness and worship him there. Pan was the god that was heard and not seen. And that really said something to this topic. Um, Travelers back then would hear noises in the woods that they couldn't explain. They would hear screaming, terrifying screams, and they would just attribute it to Pan and get, and remove themselves from the area because they were terrified. 
And that's where we get the word panic from. It's based on pan. Um, they would panic and get out of there as quickly as they could. Some people would claim to hear his, him playing his reed pipe on the other side of the bushes, things like that. And um, battles were interrupted by horrifying screams from the surrounding forests. So these ancient cases um, are kind of, they're not far off from what we're hearing today. Um, Pan um, is, like, is Pan still out there, I guess is the question. Um, or is it taken on a new guise? Is it something else? But, you know, back then, we've had historical accounts, and they're still happening to this, this day. So from demigods like Pan, you, you move into what you call straight-up evil-doing demons, uh, the Rakshasha, Rakshasa. Tell me about the Rakshasa. Yeah, the Rakshasa. It's, uh, every culture kind of has... Um, like these evil-doing demons, like I mentioned. Every culture has uh, kind of a belief around these disembodied voices uh, of what they could be, how to protect yourselves from them, and where they're found, and places to avoid. Uh, the Rakshasa, while it, is, it can change its form, uh, can change its shape, uh, it, it can also hunt by luring people with its voice. Um, it has been known to transform into um, common animals, uh, like, for example, that mouse story that I mentioned earlier. Um, and people were very suspicious of, um, of, of things like that, um, shape-shifting entities, things like that. So, so that comes from India, and there's uh, tons um, from the Philippines, Malaysia. Really, every culture has kind of a, a monster like this. I want to ask you about... EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon, and and your your thoughts on this idea that we can capture voices, uh, spirit voices, or perhaps dark uh, voices from darker forces uh, on audio tape. Uh, have you have you researched EVPs? Are you do you find them compelling? Um, I've researched EVPs uh, not extensively. But um, I am very familiar with them. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time. So um, I've come across quite a few recordings that are really, really remarkable. Um, the difference, though, between EVPs and disembodied voices is that typically EVPs are not heard at the time in the room. They're only heard later on a playback of the tape. A disembodied voice is heard with, your, heard with your ears at an exact moment. It's not on a, it's not on a recording, even though they can be recorded. So um, I did kind of note the difference as I was kind of trucking along here and kind of exploring this topic. Um, this, uh, EVPs aren't heard with the naked ear. And for whatever reason, um, they're different. I don't know why, if it is voices of ghosts or voices from beyond or from another dimension, I don't know why those specific voices can't be heard with our ears, and yet the voices in this book can. So there is a difference there, a different distinction, so um, it's kind of interesting. Do you give much thought to whether there may be some physical form behind these voices and, and what they might look like? There are theories. Um, again, it depends on what culture you're coming at it from. Um, like I said, like the Rakshasa has, can change its form, and people have claimed to see uh, the shape-shifting thing. It can look at, look like a sickly um, little 
um, kind of like um, a small girl or like a witch type of um, persona, or uh, like a, even like a devil type persona with horns and things like that. Different different uh, parts of animal, kind of like a chimera of animal parts. But um, yeah, it's different. Uh, every culture has a different way to describe it. But um, I think in my case, um, I don't know. I don't think there was anything physical. I think it was a voice from the air, a voice just coming out of the night, uh, truly disembodied. Um, if I went after it, would I have seen something? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe these things don't need bodies. Maybe they just kind of are part of the, are the nature around us. It really um, makes you think, makes you wonder. Would you welcome another experience with a disembodied voice or was one enough? Um, that's a good question. It's kind of, um, the reason why I wanted to write this book is because I, I kind of wanted to put the topic to bed, but it it's kind of impossible, you know, when you have an experience that is paranormal like this, it kind of never leaves you. You kind of just want to, you want it, you want it to stop and it kind of just hovers over you, which is why I kind of started as this is the last time I I tell the story, but, you know, in all honesty, I probably will keep telling it because we'll, we'll, we might not ever, ever know. Um, would I welcome another encounter? I, I've, I've opened myself up to another encounter, yes. Um, I'm always in the woods. I've always, uh, I'm no stranger to the outdoors. And when I'm out there, I make sure I'm, I'm listening because uh, I'm ready for the next encounter. And knowing what I know now, maybe I'll be a little bit more prepared. Um, I, I'm ready if it, if it comes back. And I, I don't know what other arenas uh, that you write about, but after delving into this into this realm, is it even possible to go to go back, uh, or is this going to inform? your worldview, even perhaps your writing from here on in. I mean, something like this, uh, and I've talked to many, many people over the years that have had, let's call them supernatural or paranormal experiences. Once the, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, uh, it, it really it changes the trajectory of your whole life. How about for you? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I am... I'm the weird one, you know? I'm the weird one in the circle of friends. That's the best way to put it. Uh, I'm the guy interested in the weird stories, the paranormal. I'm always curious, always questioning, um, especially about, you know, the strange world that we live in. Now I have proof that we don't have all the answers. I've kind of lived it myself. No one can, you know, positively tell me what I experienced that, that day. And that, to me, that's... That's something special, something profound about our world, and I'm, I'm probably always going to explore that for the rest of my life. Um, it's, it's, it's shaped who I am, for sure, and that's probably why I, this can never leave me. Uh, I'll probably keep telling this story and uh, stories like this for the rest of my life. At some point in, in the book, you ask the question, or you say it's, it's just a matter of time before you know, you hear the voice call your name, the question is, will you answer it? So what's the answer, Tim? The next time you hear a disembodied voice call your name, will you answer it? I will answer it. And I'm going to, I have a lot of questions for it if, it, if it dares to call me again. What would some of those questions be? 
Well, uh, well, the thing is, I don't know if I get a, a honest, straightforward answer. <laughs> you don't really know who you're dealing with, and uh, with with what I've learned, these things can be pretty mischievous, pretty uh, of the trickster variety. So even if I were, were to get a question to uh, who are you? What do you want? Where do you come from? I don't know if I trust the answer. How do we get a copy of Disembodied Voices: True Accounts of Hidden Beings? Yeah, the book's available wherever books are sold. You can get it online. Uh, the big stores like Amazon, uh, Chapters Indigo, or you can support your local small bookstore. They can order it for you and uh, deliver it to your door. Tim, a real pleasure. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details about an upcoming episode. Here's a resolution for 2021. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon-60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. 172 times. ESS-60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS-60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS-60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS-60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast, or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Coming up next time, inside the CIA's mind control program, MKUltra. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.